As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Hey there, you're listening to Service and Practice, where we dive into the practical elements of service in the Orthodox Church in the 21st century. Every other week, you'll hear from a guest that has a particular passion or talent within service. I'm your host, Karen, and thanks for joining. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Service and Practice. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by Father Lucas Stefanos, who will be talking to us about mental health in the context of service and how we can be equipped as servants to deal with challenges that this subject poses. Father Luke serves the congregation of St. Mary and St. Macarius in Belleville, New Jersey, where he has been for 10 years. He also practices psychiatry within St. Luke's Clinic, which is part of the church. Before he became a priest, he was a faculty at New Jersey Medical School within the psychiatry department. There he practiced general psychology with a subspecialty in addiction. Hi, Buna. It's a big blessing to be here with you today. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this topic of mental health. I think it's becoming such an important topic today, not just you know in, in the world, not in a secular perspective only, but also in the church. Absolutely. And why is this so? Why, why is mental health becoming talked about more and more? For many, many years uh, in the church, we, uh, we really did not pay attention to this. And... As you have mentioned, not only in the church, but in the whole world, the, the look at psychiatry was uh, very um, uh, demeaned, if you will, um, looked at with a, uh, in a taboo kind of, of look. There was mm-hmm. always a stigma um, uh, when it comes to talking about mental health and the history um, of uh, psychiatry has developed in the past uh, couple of centuries uh, a lot, uh, but you can say that in the modern world, uh, in the last 50 years or so, there was increasing attention, which was um, a very necessary thing during my career, both in Egypt and here. Uh, I practiced psychiatry in Egypt as well before I arrived to the States since approximately 1994. I was a resident in Egypt. Oh, wow. God bless. Thank you. And um, um, and then um, I, and that I witnessed, of course, that what we're speaking about in Egypt even more, the kind of uh, the meaning look uh, from the community about the uh, mental illness and, and mental patients uh, was so stigmatizing. Um, and since then, it has been uh, increasing. The attention and the awareness has been increasing slowly but uh, surely. But when I came here, to my surprise, is that the stigma was still there and it's not really uh, so much different. Mm-hmm. And that was the one uh, specialty, psychiatry is the one specialty that is really um, not, doesn't date too much back uh, like the other um, specialties in medicine. Uh, but there was a 
flood of, uh, of, of studies and work in this field, which, uh, it, which is a blessing. Yeah, it's really great to see the advancements that have been made, especially within the last several decades, like you were saying. And talking in even more recent history, St. Luke's Clinic has been around uh, for the past nine years, right? Yes. And I'm curious to know, how has the approach or attitude of the people that you serve, especially the Coptic people, how has that changed in the last nine years? See, let me start by even the beginning of it in uh, 2011 was right after my ordination and it was uh, a very wise um, uh, foreseeing uh, by His Grace Bishop David who came to me upon ordination and asked me to keep my license. And uh, I was actually opposing this for a while because oh, really? it, to me... To me, um, a priest has to be dedicated to priesthood. And I always learned that a priest has to leave everything, leave his previous profession and focus on becoming a priest. And I struggled with him a lot, but he had the wisdom <laughs> and uh, the foreknowledge, uh, apparently, that I didn't have at the time, that there was a huge need in the church for this pr profession. So... After I struggled with him for a while and and I said to him, um, you can keep me, uh, I will serve <laughs> as, a, as a doctor in the church. <laughs> but he said, no, we need you as a priest as well. Just go have your time uh, uh, preparation, come back as a priest. Uh, I went, took the time in the monastery, came back and uh, to my Surprised, I was astonished by the amount of people that come to me in confession asking for mental health help. Um, one after the other, after the other, yeah. they come. And I felt that there is a lot of barriers that are removed from that these people uh, just from them speaking to a priest. Uh, even though I was serving in the same church and I was seeing the same people, but immediately after I became a priest, this was a solution for them to overcome a lot of barriers. And I kept, uh, I was reminded with, with my initial uh, stubbornness with Bishop David and with my initial uh, uh, opposition, uh, and I, I, I was... Um, convinced immediately that this is actually, in fact, a very noble thing to, to serve with, and not only on the mental health level, but on the spiritual level as well. So to answer your question, why is it important becoming uh, more uh, aware and uh, about mental health, and why is it a blessing to talk about it more, uh, especially in the church, the answer is that a mentally ill person usually have tremendous amount of, of effect, negative effect, uh, both on him personally and on the community, local community and his family, friends, job. And, uh, and that negative effect extends to the spiritual aspect as well. 
take, for example, an anxious person who has a social phobia. They wouldn't come to church. They avoid people. They wouldn't come to service. Um, take, for example, somebody who has OCD, which is obsessive-compulsive disorder. They cannot focus in prayer because of the obsessions that they run in their minds. Sometimes it directly affects their their view of um, of the of communion or the priest or this and that. So I was convinced that to practice medicine as a priest is a very important thing, not only for the mental health but for the spiritual health of that person. And that was one. I really was convinced, and I went to Bishop David, and I told him I was wrong. <laughs> and uh, we started St. Luke, and St. Luke has been a blessing for many, many hundreds of families over the years. Thank God. It's the work of God. He takes all the credit. Um, uh, the obstacles that St. Luke's overrides are very much needed to be overridden in, in the church. These are barriers bef between uh, a parishioner who has mental illness and profession seeking professional help. And there are so many of them. Take, for example, number one is the lack of insight. Most people don't understand what they're going through. They don't know. Mm -hmm. So when the family members start to encourage them to speak to the priests who have some knowledge about this, then it becomes an easier thing than telling them to go to a psychiatrist. They don't take it uh, easy with that. And the second barrier is uh, the stigma that we, we spoke about. Yeah. So even if they understand, let's say they're depressed or they have um, hallucinations or whatever, psychosis, even if they get it, but to tell them that this needs a, a medical person to treat you is very stigmatizing. And the person usually rejects that. But if, if there is a clinic in the church um, by by clergyman, then it's very well accepted. At least that sharpness of the stigma is uh, is overcome. And then we go on to the cultural difference, the overlap between spirituality and mental health, and the language barriers, and the financial barriers, and all of these. These are real things that prevent any mentally ill or psychi psychiatrically uh, challenged person from seeking professional help. And we know that that exists in general, in the public, in the general public, the amount of mentally ill people who really seek medical attention are almost half. Only half? Yeah, wow. only half of the people. I think it's very interesting, like, even those people who have been living in the Western world or have been born and raised here, that the stigma still exists. Yeah. And... Um, even if there isn't a stigma, just not having a full understanding of the impact of mental health on both the individual and the community level. And I, I thank God for St. Luke's Clinic. You know, I've seen the effects on the local community within New Jersey, and may God bless and reward your service. Thank you. One thing I wanted to also ask about is you mentioned that some of the people who may come to you, even if just in confession, may be seeking mental health help, but do they know that that's what they're really seeking? Yes, I, uh, I make sure that that's um, 
clearly uh, explained to the person uh, because it's not ethical to see someone without telling them that he's been seen or he's been evaluated. That's fair. It's not only unethical, I see it immoral and wrong. So I never accept a patient uh, who comes to me um, or is um, the family are planning to bring them uh, for me as a priest only not knowing that I'm also uh, a professional uh, psychiatrist. I tell them and I explain to them mm -hmm. that this is uh, not right and would not do it. Some ask then what's the benefit? The benefit is usually uh, it's much less stigmatizing and much less uh, uh, of an obstacle to go to see a, a, a priest who has the knowledge or has the professional um, qualifications than uh, uh, to go to anyone else in the, in the mainstream medicine, medical field. Also, the fact that we're do we have the clinic in the church that helps to send that message as well. That makes sense that the individual has to be seeking the help yes. and want to want that help, um, you know, before they receive it. And something that you and I were talking about before we started recording was the relationship between uh, spirituality and mental health. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you remind me with uh, <laughs> with something after I left the uh, New Jersey Medical School. Um, they asked me to uh, continue teach voluntarily um, as an adjunct faculty. So I, I did, and I'm, I'm still continuing to, to go there and teach the residents. But one oh, wow. day they asked me to give a lecture about that, what you just said. Uh, they asked me, one of my previous colleagues, she saw me in the black gown and beard. So she said, yes, I want you to give that uh, uh um, class, which is spirituality and mental health. You know, I was, you, you know, I, I accepted the offer willingly and very happily, but it was very challenging because I would be speaking in public to people that might not agree, a lot of them that might not agree with uh, what I had to say. But it was a blessing that I, I personally learned a lot it was uh, going to be the first time I speak about this um, to, to, to an audience that might not believe in God or, or different, different, uh, different faiths. Um, so I, I went to literature and I gathered a full century worth of literature from 1900 till 2000 about that topic, spirituality and mental health. And to my surprise, 95% of the literature studies from the secular community uh, um, points at the positive effect of spirituality on mental health in general. Um, and they, of course, we, we went, went in detail about what we mean by spirituality, and it was very interesting to define what that is and the difference between that and religiosity, for example, there's two different, two different things. And then, not only that, but the effect on mental health goes in two different directions as well. One is the uh, prevention part, 
which was proven scientifically and by those studies that people who are connecting, connected to a higher power and have spiritual relationship, uh, they tend to, uh, to fall into um, mental illness less, much less. And then also what uh, was pointed at is the effect of treatment. So spirituality has a very positive effect in treatment. And nowadays, the model, the best model of treating mental illness is fourfold model that goes biopsychosocial spiritual. And that's the model that we teach in medical school in all, all over. So two decades or three decades or five decades ago, uh, I don't know exactly when, but like a few decades ago, it was not like this. I think uh, a, a professor named Engel in 1977, which makes it like five decades or so, um, 4.5 decades or something, he coined the term biopsychosocial model of treatment. But nowadays it's officially biopsychosocial spiritual. So the spiritual component now is a standard of practice. It's a standard of practice and ev everywhere there is there has to be a spiritual evaluation of patients. So that's in general from the literature. But from my knowledge and experience it's much more than that. Mm -hmm. We believe in a God who is a creator of the soul. So studying mental health, when we put it under that scope of the mental health system is created by that creator, then we look at it that he has a lot to do with how to fix it and how to preserve it and how to prevent uh, uh, problems. Um, and if we take it a step further into orthodoxy, it becomes even more interesting where we study the orthodox faith and how it's beautifully tailored to mental health. Take, for example, the 12-step program, which is the most effective, currently most effective program for uh, treating uh, alcoholism and addiction in general. The 12 steps, if you dissect the, those steps, you will find them fitting in the orthodox practice beautifully. The first three steps are talking about repentance and submitting your will to a higher power. The second three are about confession and abiding into someone. And then the rest, the, the, the next three are about maintenance when the priest sends you to do things and follow up with them. And then the last ones are about service and being a preacher and serving others. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've had the blessing to hear you speak about that comparison before yeah. in, in a talk. Um, it's, it's very interesting to see. I think it's also interesting how you mentioned the, the fact that the spiritual aspect of mental health is being is, is taught in the university setting in and it's seen in the literature and it makes me consider how the recent shift you know in, in the last several decades from religion especially in the western world that shift away from religion may have 
been causing even more issues and, and for us to be talking about mental health even more these days. Yes, absolutely. And something else that you spoke about earlier was that mental health has not just an effect on an individual, but on the community. And I think it's important to consider this in the context of the Orthodox Church and in our service, because we ourselves who are servants have to be in a stable place with regards to mental health, to be at peace, to to not be dis- so dissatisfied with ourselves, um, or to just be stable enough so that we can support those that we are serving. Right. Yeah, um, it's very important for a servant to be psychologically stable and have a, um, a stable personality versus an insecure or unstable personality or somebody who has, like you said, dissatisfaction, inner dissatisfactions and are stuck into the circle of uh, being inadequate or have weaknesses or uh, these kinds of personalities are um, struggling. But again, I don't want to discourage anyone. Christ came for us all for these things. Remember the very first thing that Christ said in the very first time he speak. He spoke was in uh, the synagogue of uh, of Nazareth in his own city when he entered, and we read this in the first year, uh, in the first day of the Coptic year, because it's the beginning of his serving service when he reached thirty, age thirty. So he entered the the the, the temple and he opened the, the Old Testament on a book of Isaiah and he he pointed at a verse that says, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is upon me, the Spirit of God is upon me, anointed me to uh, preach for the poor, the poor-spirited, and to uh, heal the brokenhearted. Look at the words, heal the brokenhearted. So he came for for the poor in spirit and the brokenhearted. And then he goes on to say, to send the captives free. So he alludes to the captivities of some of the things you mentioned, like being insecure, or these are captivities, or captivities with addiction, for example. And then he says to open the, the, to give the blind sight. So who are the blind? The blind are the people who don't realize that they are children of God and that and that he is enough for them to to stabilize them, right? Uh, sometimes we're blinded to that um, notion that we are born of him and we are by him, uh, we are full and we are complete. He, he ends the, that statement by saying, I will also, I came for the, um, to send the oppressed into liberty. So uh, those are the people who are really, really crunched by mental illness. Christ came for us. Whether we are clinically diagnosed or not, all of us have have some stuff inside of us. And that's what we need to do as servants. We need to bring ourselves before him, open our hearts, and whatever difficulties, weaknesses, captivities that we have, we just present to him, and he heals us. And then we, from that point, we can reach the others. And it's very important when we 
when we serve, we serve by Him, not by our own. Yes, for sure. You you alluded to how we are all made as imperfect beings, but Christ came for us, and through Him we can serve. And through Him also in our service we can overcome some of the obstacles. Um, I think that especially in, the, in modern days, sometimes we encounter obstacles where maybe someone that we are serving is going through a very difficult challenge mm -hmm. and they need mental health help and maybe they don't not necessarily know it yet but what should be our response or what should be our role as a servant if someone comes to us with an issue be that depression or self-harm or, mm -hmm. or addiction mm -hmm. well that's a very good and common question and I, I will start by the common generalized answer first and then I'll take it down to specifics. The common generalized answer is that don't think that there is a special magic formula sentence that <laughs> is going to work. What this person needs is the presence of God. He doesn't need a formula that I'm going to dictate to you right now and say, oh, now, right after me. This is what you say to the depressed person. This is what you say to the suicidal. No. They need a heart that is full of God, a heart of that Christ who said, I'm here to heal you. I call this uh, verse that I mentioned, it's in uh, uh, Luke 4, 18. I have it tabulated in St. Luke's. I call it the mission statement of Christ. And I quite often point at it to my patients. Look, this is why Christ came for, Luke 4, 18. It's the mission statement. And I have, I have written um, like um, a little article in Simana uh, one time about that, um, that mission statement. But the idea is make sure that you point at Christ and, and not only point at him, but be his presence. You yourself are carrier of, of, of Christ. And the more you are in touch with him, the more you will be able to carry him over to others. Look at the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, Christ, this woman was a sex addict for years. Christ did an intervention for 10 minutes. I don't know how he did it. I mean, I know he's God. But yeah. Like this chapter, uh, uh, it's an amazing interaction where I don't know how many minutes exactly, but it's not a long time. And he changed her 180 degrees. And he did the 12 steps with her because the last step, being a preacher, she went to preach to others. If you read the 12 steps, the last one is preaching to others. And she went to, to, the Samaria, uh, to Samaria and told them, Come see, someone told me everything I've did. And then the, the Bible says that then they came not because of what she said, but because of him. So she might have brought to them Christ somehow. So that's my point to you. The, uh, the question that you're asking, make yourself a presence of God to these people. A real presence. And that by the love that you carry in your heart. When you give that, you present that, it's very moving and it's very powerful. Whether it's a depressed or, an, uh, or addicted or something, I have to understand that these people feel stigmatized. So everybody's running away from them. 
they feel lonely, they feel very negative. Sometimes they don't want to come to church because of that. So if you kindly be a presence of God to them, that's more than a million words. Thank you for the advice. On a practical note, is there anything specific that servants can do to be more educated or better equipped to deal with mental health issues? And is there any specific resource or place that you think servants in particular should start? Um, I, uh, I like a, a couple of books that I can share. I like a book um, named um, God's Path to Sanity by D. Pinnock. That's a very interesting book for those who are interested. It's basically a book of um, that describes psychology um, in a Christian way, perspective, using biblical and patristics to explain um, psychology, human psychology, and how to treat some of the uh, ingrained issues and the insecurities and the passions that we have. Something that I also wanted to return to was in talking about the uh, the twelve step to recovery for those battling addiction or alcoholism, you mentioned how the last portion is actually about service. That those who are recovering yeah. would participate in service, and I think that's so interesting because, in a way, doing service is something that can allow us to grow, or we ourselves who are the ones serving will benefit from it. Yes, absolutely. There is a key in life <clears throat> that uh, being pleased has something to do with giving rather than what most people think, that the way to be pleased or feel pleasure is from taking. And this, this little secret has been highlighted by, by the gospel. Remember when St. Paul was giving his last lecture, farewell lecture to his bishops and priests in Ephesus before he went to Jerusalem to be, uh, um, to be captured? He said to them, I will remind you with one word that Christ has told me, even though we don't, we don't know when he told him, but he told him, be reminded when Christ said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yes. Why did you pick out of all what Christ said, this one sentence, uh, Paul? It's because it's a secret of life. It's the secret of, of, of really feeling happy and satisfied in your life. Giving is the way to go. So service, if I ask you as a servant, um, have you ever felt like you're going home very happy after service? That would be very common. Yeah. Almost every time when we started serving, we go out visitations, and we do more effort and exert more, uh, you know, effort. That that's when we get satisfied and happy. There is a secret there, but that was proven scientifically. Chemically, there is better uh, um, endorphins and and chemicals that are uh, pumped in our brains. Uh, when, when we serve and exert uh, effort, and also uh, psychologically, 
at least two professors of psychology that I will mention right now that proves the point. One is Eric Erickson, who took the levels of uh, the psychosocial developments of, of people from age zero till above 65. And in each step, each stage, he would give a, a name of like a milestone to, to achieve versus a milestone of failure. So from zero to one and a half, he would say basic trust versus mistrust. When he goes up to the highest one, which is above age 65, he, he, he says generativity versus stagnation. So when he explains what he means by this, he goes like this. He says, at the end of person's life, he looks at his life. If he finds himself generation, generating love and, and, and serving, that's the utmost satisfaction. And if that person finds that his life was useless to others, he falls into something called stagnation, where he is kind of least satisfied and depressed. Another one, his name is Maslow, might be known to many of you. He did the needs pyramids. At the top of the pyramid, he calls it self-actualization. And when he explains it, he says self-actualization is being creative to give things to others. To leave a mark. Yes, to leave a mark. So so it's amazing, uh, this secret of life. The more you give, the more you're satisfied. Well, that's very beautiful and very in line with the, the Orthodox faith and what Christ has passed down to us. Correct. He is on the cross saying, I am pleased. He says he was pleased by that. And he pleased the Lord, even though the image on the cross is not very pleasing. <laughs> but that's the most pleasure that he did for us. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Abuna, for speaking with me today and answering questions on mental health. It was great to have, uh, to have this refreshed perspective and also great to hear about your ministry that is taking place at St. Luke's Clinic. Thank you, Karen. May God continue to bless the service and let it grow 30, 60, and 100 fold. Thank you very much for your prayers. Uh, please pray for me all, um, and may God bless you. Yes, uh, we, we will continue to pray for you and for the service. Thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you, Karen.